I'm your host, Stephen Gutteridge, and welcome to Mid-South Moments. We welcome back guest host James Coleman on the show this week to review the July 21st, 1974 episode of Mid-South Wrestling. How have you been after, over the last week? Because I, I suspect you probably needed a week to recover from that wretched episode that we watched last weekend. Uh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't the best, but I'm glad to say that this one is is quite a bit better. So back at the desk for the first time in a long time is Joel Watts, who's Bill Watts' son, alongside Jim Ross. Joel, t- uh, Joel, taking after his father the week before, loses his train of thought during the rundown of the matches and looks over to Jim Ross. Jim looks over to Jim Ross's notes for JR steps in to save him. Did you notice this right at the start here? Yeah, straight away, yeah. yeah. The guy absolutely mumbled. He, again, he was talking about a tag team match but it was only talking about one of the guys, wasn't he? So, yes, and then yeah. Jim Ross, you could see, he just jumped straight in and saved it. So He just looked completely all over the place. Um, and yeah. to, to be fair, jo- Joel does a lot of the, all the videos are done by him. And he was, he did have a period where he was on the commentary desk quite a lot, but he hasn't been seen for a number of weeks now. Um, so obviously a great start. I don't understand why they just didn't retake that, but I guess at the time it's just like, Unless it's absolutely dreadful, we're not wasting time or money on yeah. going to take some of this stuff back, as we saw from last week's episode. <laughs> um, so Jim Ross throws to a ring to ringside for a special presentation, and Bill Watts is standing with Magnum TA, who was only 24 years old when he won the North American title on Mother's Day, and he was the youngest champion in history. Watts says when usually someone wins a big title in other sports, you have some time to rest on your laurels. But that isn't the case in Mid-South. And Magnum adds that he is a fighting champion and has had many challenges. Um, what says that the Mid-South today has just received a brand new North American Championship belt. And what says it's 27 pounds of solid silver and gold. Um, I thought this didn't look all that dissimilar to the AEW World Championship. What did you think of this belt when he, uh, when he revealed it? Um, yeah, I mean, TA, uh, he seems really... Um, he seems really... Like, there was an element of current wrestling where you see today uh, a lot of people talking about being a fighting champion and things like that. But I, I, to be honest with you, I can't remember actually seeing the belt, so I can't remember what it actually looked like. Oh, okay. So it's very, it's, it was kind of, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if AEW have got this from here because it was a bit, if you combined the IWGP Championship and the AEW, you yeah. probably got pretty similar to what this what this was actually. I thought it looked pretty good. It was, it was a significant upgrade on what they've been using previously. Sure. Um, so Watts asked him who his toughest challenges may be in the future. And Magnum mentions his former coach, Mr. Wrestling 2, who's left the promotion by then. Um, Hercules Hernandez and also Butch Reed, who he feels like until he can avenge his previous loss, he won't quite feel like the champion. Um, Watts says that Magnum has grown a lot from that time. He turned 25 two weeks ago and everyone can see that he's matured. Um, and as Magnum is speaking, there was a commotion and out comes Ernie Ladd. Ladd asks Magnum who he thinks trained Butch Reed. He talks about everyone but him. Ladd complains about being put in a championship match at the end of the show last week and implores Magnum to get in the ring now. Um, some referees shoo Ladd away before they throw back to Joel and Ross. Um, I thought this was a decent segment starts to finish, putting over Magnum and reeling the new title belt. What did you think of this, this overall here? Yeah, actually, I put the same thing. Um, it was nice to see something like that. And it also it was, seemed as though it was building him up to sort of be the, the main guy of the roster. So yes, that's what it seemed yeah. like to me. So, Yeah, Magnum, it's, it's interesting because you've got some big babyface guys in there at the time. You've got Magnum, Junkyard Dog, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, and Terry Taylor's floating in there as well, but not quite at the top level. But Magnum holds the top title, albeit he isn't necessarily the number one push guy, I think it's okay. fair to say. Um, a bit like when... John Cena was not champion in early 2010 WWE, like CM Punk's champion or whatever, but the Cena yeah. stuff always seems to come a little bit above. And I think Magnum's yeah. probably in the, maybe in the punk role, whereas JYD and Hacksaw 
are in the sort of Cena role, really. Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, so up first in ring, we have Josh Stroud, and then we have Jim Cornette um, on the microphone, and he says he's grown to kind of like having the most powerful athlete of all time uh, protect him and free his mind for other pursuits, such as guiding the tag team champions to more victories. Um, Cornette says that he has added a number of moves to Hercules' arsenal. Um, and then, what did you think of this Jim Cornette promo to start off? I thought he was in great form here. Yeah, I, do you know what? I actually thought to myself, Jim Cornette is incredible. Um, yeah. Because I haven't seen him too much in like um, the wrestling world for Myra. Like I just, um, he was absolutely exceptional. Mm. He has that sort of Paul Heyman, Brock Lesnar sort of vibe to him at that point, but a little bit better, I thought as well. Cornette, I think um, in terms of all-time managers, and I haven't seen as much of the Cornette Prime stuff because Cornette's Prime really is prior to him coming to the WWF as sort of Yokozuna's American spokesperson in what, 93, I guess that would have been. But all of his key stuff is this Mid-South run and then Jim Crockett um, up to sort of the early 90s. And he's just, he's right up there with Bobby Heenan in terms of modern era, incredible managers, basically. Um, I thought Hercules was pretty impressive looking over Stroud from the start of this match. Um, Joel Watson commentary says that Hercules had all the physical tools, but now Cornette is adding the mental ones too. Hercules catches Stroud in what looks like the million dollar dream, albeit when Stroud drops the mat, um, he's basically out of the mood because he's, no, he's not in it anymore. I don't know if you noticed that. It's like, yeah, it, yeah his arms weren't around his neck anymore. No. Um, Stroud doesn't appear to submit, but he passes out and referee calls for stoppage in 129. I'm a bit disappointed not to see a bit more of Hercules here. Um, this is quite a short match. Um, what did you think of this one? Yeah, it was actually, in comparison to the last week's episode, it was nice to see an actual finish that wasn't yes. disqualification. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Albeit though the submission, um, ha- he passed out from like what seemed like a behind the head arm lock. Yeah. So I, I can't I can't work out how that actually made him pass out. But so to start off with, I, I think Ted DiBiase is probably a little bit before your time, isn't he? So, so his his finishing move was like a. I, I think it's like a very, it's not a dragon sleeve or dragon sleeve or something else, but this is like a million dollar dream and it is like a chokehold. But the yeah. move changed. I don't know whether they switched positions, but halfway through this, there was nothing on him. No, there wasn't um, at all, no. Yeah. On that, I don't know if you've seen, have you seen Sonada in New Japan? Because he, yeah, I, I've seen I, Sonada, yeah. Yeah. So his finisher, the skull end, I can't remember he was at the, he must have been at the New Japan show we went to see at the coffee box, isn't he? But that gets me every time because his, his finisher is like a dragon sleeper, but he applies it so high up their head that it's basically like around their forehead. So yeah. it's like all you need to do is slip your head out and it just does yeah. my head in. Every single time I see that, it's just like, talk about susp- I know it's not real, but you don't have to throw it in my face. <laughs> it's like someone blowing someone over and that being the finish, basically. So yeah, not yeah. very good. And this is this similar to this. Um, so after the break, uh, Jim Ross is at ringside and he asks Cornette for an explanation of the last move. Cornette says it's a derivative of an ancient torture device called the Shino Namaki. Uh, and I, when I wrote that down, I thought, I really hope that isn't the most offensive two words you could possibly say. Um, but yeah, I thought, again, this is great from Cornette here, wasn't it? 100%, 100%. Yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan of Jim Cornette. Yeah, he was, he was really great here. I think the problem with Cornette these days, he just let, he lets himself down uh, with his his sort of over-the-top views on things. But when you see him on like a documentary, I don't know if you've seen any of the um, Dark Side of the Ring stuff. Yeah, I did, yeah. Yeah. So some of the, so he's so uh, eloquent uh, and he's so knowledgeable, but then when he gets into his personal um, vendettas with people, it's really difficult um, because it's just like, just move away from cutting a promo. Like, we all know what this is. Like, just stop. But then he... He's got a big following for his podcast and his work that like, he calls sort of the cult of Cornette. And actually, I think that he's making a living now out of 
kind of feeding that anti-AEW, anti-modern day wrestling. And it's a bit of a shame, really, because I think that he could be someone that could still be really useful in a modern setting. Um, When actually there aren't all that many, when you think about it, experienced minds out there in terms of people working in wrestling now. But he's he's sort of uh, burnt his bridges with the Young Bucks and all those sort of people. So I I can't see him working in a major promotion going forward. Yeah. Um, So we... Sorry, uh, Yeah, he's always been the guy to me from... um, the understanding that I've got is the guy that just argues with Dave Meltzer and the guy that argues with absolutely everybody. Yeah. But when you see his merchandise room, he's got so much merch from like, it actually looks absolutely incredible. His, um, I think it's his attic. It's all scattered about. Yes, with, the, with the kind of the, the ceiling that, that's yeah. kind of crossing the middle all the posters and stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's incredible. Um, it's funny about him and Dave Meltzer because him and Meltzer apparently were really good friends for years. But because Meltzer um, is, I think he's, He's probably usually the right side of things on AEW, but he is probably a bit more positive about them. He's he's always been very positive about New Japan and stuff and very yeah, positive yeah, yeah. about AEW. And, he, and I think that he is great, but that he does have the odd blind spot. I, don't, I guess if anyone would do, there'd be certain things that people would like and dislike. Uh, but they had a big falling out recently, so I'm not even sure they're on speaking terms now. But you're absolutely oh, right. right. So those going back, back and forth on Twitter and, and the such like. Um, so after this, we cut to a special look at the Pretty Young Things. Uh, and this is video package number one uh, on this week's episode. They are standing in red leather jackets with PYT written on the wall. And it looked to me like someone had actually like done this with like marker pen or something behind them there. It yeah. wasn't the, yeah, it wasn't the best looking set, was it? <laughs> so someone's job was to like write PYT on this, this brown um, background in the background. Um, Coco Ware is holding a stereo and we start with Thriller um, and then cut to Pretty Young Thing by Michael Jackson as well. Um, as the video shows the two hitting moves and opponents and also a bit of dancing too. Why not? I mean, I'm sure that, that went down well. Um, again, here, there's a lot of footage from other territories um, back in the day where they would just use the footage without you know, copyright considerations or there would be a sharing of footage because there was you know, a bit of a sharing of wrestlers around with a lot of this stuff was um, from the Mid-South Coliseum, so the, the Memphis promotion. Um, so after the various shots of moves, we get back to PYT in front of the screen and they look pretty pleased with themselves, which, which I can imagine they would be after smashing to their, some of their opponents' good moves. Um, and Norvell Austin says there's going to be thousands of people at the box office queuing up to see them. Um, I was a bit disappointed there weren't any vehicles in this, uh, this promo. Um, what did you think of this video package? So I don't think I've ever prayed before, but after watching that, I remember thinking to myself, I'm in praying, thinking, I'm so glad I wasn't born in the 80s. <laughs> it, was, it was Michael Jackson in a wrestling promo. Um, it was absolutely mental. And nothing happened in the promo. I don't, no, really, yeah. I don't understand. It was just them showing themselves off. And it was, I just remember watching it thinking, what is this? Like, wrestling is so different. It is. And I think, I think the context you've probably got, if you, if you put this with, and, and actually, I don't think a music video, I mean, you're quite a bit younger than me, but music videos were a really big thing when sort of in the mid 90s, late 90s, when we first sort of had Sky and there was like the music channels and stuff, and like MTV was just music videos and that yeah. sort of thing. Is that still so much of a thing in the modern era of like streaming and stuff in terms of like, not really. Yeah. I think back then there was an element of um, you always listen to the music channels and if there's a music channel, there's going to be a video with it. And that was yeah. the way it was. Whereas now with Spotify and everything, I don't think people really... People still do the music videos, but there's a much less orientation towards them than there were, I think. Yeah. But um, yeah, it was... Yeah, seeing Pretty Young Things um, uh, dancing to Michael Jackson in... Oh, it's, 
something else. <laughs> so back then, so music videos, the, music videos as a genre were really new because MT, I, I think MTV was maybe 82 or 83. It started. Okay. So I think that's, that's probably what they are um, sort of playing on a little bit more here in terms of, you know, this is actually a really new thing. So MTV started on the August the 1st, 81, so a little bit, a little bit after I said, but um, yeah, so, so that, that is probably more the vibe that they're going for that music with some action equals people will really like this and put them over. But I, I agree. And then we, we get some more of this. They are a bit, because it's not, it's not a traditional wrestling promo in the sense of we're getting to learn a bit more about their characters or mm. we're understanding what their motivations are. They want to be tag champions. They want to, you know, whatever it may be. Um, it's just more them looking a bit flash, I suppose, isn't it really? And that's, yeah, and that, but that worked. I mean, the Rock and Roll Express came in on these things and they, the people in, in uh, Shreveport had never seen them before and they, they lost it for them. They were like the biggest rock stars went in the promotion. They'd never seen them wrestle before. They, yeah. A few of them might have seen them on uh, some programming from other promotions. But again, we're talking about um, around this time, I think there was something like, I'm putting together the thing for Black Saturday, which I mentioned last week, which is the, so Black Saturday was the 14th of July, 84, where viewers turned in and they expected to see NWA programming. And it was Vincent Mann standing in the WF and bought the time slot. So it's this big thing, especially yeah. in the South, lots of complaints, et cetera. Um, but back then, I think TBS was, was available in something like 4.8 million homes out of what, 100 million people in America, something like that. So it's, sure. not, it's not a big, it wasn't a big, a big thing so much, a cable TV grew. But you, they might have seen a few of them. But I guess the point is they just came in pretty cold apart from video packages and they loved it. So it is, yeah, it's, just, it's, it's, a, it's a weird thing looking at it with, with more 2020 eyes. Um, Absolutely. So Cornette is back in the ring and he says that the, the, the parade of champions is continuing now with his Midnight Express and they come out as usual in their non-matching outfits. So this is something that does my head in with the Midnight Express. They don't wear matching outfits, even though they're a, they're a you know, recognized and long-standing tag team. It's like, you know, you've got to get matching outfits. Come on, guys. Like, Absolutely. Yeah, of course you do. Uh, so, and they're out for their televised match against the Pretty Young Things. And um, Hercules is out there looking menacing at ringside. And I put in my notes that I, I can always predict that this is going to end by uh, his interference <laughs> in five minutes and 30 seconds. Oh, there was, so, did you think the same thing when you saw him out there? Yeah, as I was writing my notes, I literally wrote saying that Jim Cornette's with Hercules and Anders. I can guess what's about to happen. Mm. Um, especially following last week with all the disqualifications. I thought, oh, right, okay, I know exactly what's going to happen here. <laughs> exactly. So the PYT got a good reaction here from the crowd. I think this is a fresh set of taping. So the stuff that we saw last week, I think this is, this is probably quite a few of the same crowd, but not taped on the same day. So I think these guys at the start of these, at the start of these tapings get better reactions. Um, and then we get the incorrect key at the bottom of the screen again, describing them as the PYT Express, which is not their name. Um, so Ross and commentary says that this should have been, this should be a classic match. And Joel adds that the animosity between these teams has reached its peak. Um, Ware and Condry start with some nice looking exchanges before Austin is tagged in. Um, Eaton makes his way in after a tag and is hit with what Ross describes as a perfectly executed arm drag. Um, Austin and Ware exchange fast tags, working over Eaton's arm. Hercules is actually facing away from the in-ring action on the outside, presumably to stop any potential attacks on Cornette. Condry takes control with a side headlock on Austin before he fires back with a hip toss and arm drag, and again they go back to the arm. Condry makes it out, and now it's Eaton and Ware, and Eaton catches him with a low boot to the gut. Eaton hits a blind tag, and Condry catches Austin in the back with a knee, and the Midnight Express have a sustained period of offense and cut the ring off so he can't make the tag to his partner. Finally, Austin makes a tag to Ware, who fires up, and hits three great-looking drop kicks on both members of the Express. Ware goes to the roll-up off the ropes, and Cornette drills him with a tennis racket shot right to the head, 
and Eaton gets the pin in 4.53. Um, so actually, Hercules wasn't involved in the finish here at all. Yeah. Um, as expected. I really like this. I thought this was definitely a highlight in terms of in-ring in quality of the last couple of weeks. What do you think of this, uh, this match and this finish? Yeah, in comparison, I think it was actually, it felt like an actual tag team match. It didn't feel mm. like two singular wrestlers going at each other with two other singular wrestlers. There was a, uh, I think there was a um, double drop kick and things like that. So there was an element of actual um, uh, a tag team element to it, which was quite nice. And the Jim Cornette and Hercules Hernandez being at uh, ringside added almost like a sort of different sort of vibe to it where you you expect something that didn't happen, which is quite nice. I think that's yes. quite... Yes. Yeah, I think, yeah, that's good. I think like a, like a plot device that end up, like a tease that actually ends up not yeah. happening, which is good. Yeah. So I, I'm looking forward to what we've, we've got next here. So back from the break, we have Jim Ross and Watts. And Ross says that Terry Taylor is certainly one of the best athletes they've ever seen. And he is the current Mid-South television champion. And Joel has put together a special video package on Taylor with the help of Rod Stewart's Do You Think I'm Sexy? Oh, yes, a double video package alert. I think this might be the first time in Mid-South ever. Two video packages, and we know what's coming later. No spoilers <laughs> just yet, though, for potentially a third one. So this video shows Terry walking to the ring with some American flags and kissing some ladies. Then he's holding one in his arms. Then he's getting a car. Of course he is. There's always got to be a vehicle in it. Then he's chatting to a girl who gave him some flowers on an old episode at ringside. Then there's some in-ring action. Then a girl sitting with Taylor in a restaurant who looked like she was yawning. Did you spot that? Yeah, I was yeah. there. <laughs> she was definitely yawning. Then they go to a wide angle and show them having a chat. Then Taylor is lying down on a photo shoot, topless, obviously. Then back to some successful in-ring moments. Big topless thumbs up, double back pose. Things have escalated in the restaurant and the bored lady is now holding hands with Terry. They then head outside and Terry gives her a quarter to call her mother as the line in the, of the song says the same thing and they jump into a cab together. Uh, more in-ring action and Taylor signing some autographs and we are out of there. What a video. This is incredible. What did you think of this? Well, in comparison, <laughs> I remember I wasn't a big fan of the 80 promos beforehand. And I remember watching this thinking to myself, I wish I was Terry Taylor. Yeah. Look, <laughs> yes. When I'm older, I want to be Terry Taylor. This guy is an absolute gangster. But um, yeah, what an incredible bloke. What an incredible, yeah. such an interesting life. He got, he, he ticked the lady from yawning to call it, he's giving her a call to phone her mum and say, I'm not going to be home tonight. So Absolutely. Yeah, we, this, this we can is all great. learn from Terry Taylor. We can all learn from him. <laughs> this is a lot better than the, the pretty young things. Right? I thought this was, yeah. this was, this is really classic. And I thought the way they got the quarter thing in the, in the I know it's simple, but they showed what was happening in the, as the song sang it at the same time. I thought this was really, really good. Mm. And, you, and, and you've nailed it there. You, if you're a guy seeing this, you think, like, what, a, what a cool bastard this guy is. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But a girl watching this, like, look at this like, good-looking and attractive young guy as a champion and like, you know, like good guy, baby face, et cetera. So this, this worked for me. I thought this, this was really, really great. Um, yeah. Certainly worked more than the first one and I think worked more than the third one that's coming up in a bit. So... Uh, <laughs> Boyd Pierce is in the ring in a mad-looking combo of white jacket with pink flowers and lime green, uh, yeah, lime green trousers here. 
Um, so his hair is all over the place as well. He looks like he's been in lockdown for the last sort of, 12 weeks, but, or perhaps a heavy night. But the sides of his hair were just out, just out of control. Like, he's always, always fairly well-turned-out guy, um, but not on this occasion, sadly. Uh, next up is Terry Taylor, the Mid-South Television Champion versus Pat Rose. This is a short squash here, and Taylor looks good with some crisp moves and good offence. Uh, and wins in 152 with a flying forearm. I thought this was, this, was, this was decent, but obviously quite short. What do you think of this? Uh, the man of the hour, Terry Taylor in action. Well, it was great to see Terry Taylor. I'm a big fan of Terry Taylor now, obviously. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> Pat Rose, his trunks were absolutely horrific. Oh, I didn't, I didn't spot that. Go on. Go on. I, I, I can't, I, it's very really difficult to explain, but they were like almost like grandma pants. He was wearing, okay. <laughs> and they were so big. And yeah, it was just, it was a sight to see. But um, yeah, again, it was quite a cool match. It was nice forearm. You could tell that it was going to be a Terry Taylor win from the video package. Oh, yeah. So they would yeah. definitely build him up. But yeah, it was uh, Terry Taylor's uh, video package and Pat Rose's shorts. The uh, highlights. Were, yeah, they were the highlights. <laughs> it was, um, <laughs> it made me think about, yeah, again, thanking the Lord I wasn't born in the 80s again. <laughs> so, Hacksaw, Butchery and Buddy Landell versus Junkyard Dog and Hacksaw Jim Duggan's up next. This is actually quite a big, big match in the in the context of who these these people are with uh, Joe Whitey and Hacksaw Jim Duggan really right up there, top baby faces. Uh, Butch Reed, perennial top heel and Landell right in there. Um, so uh, Landell and Reed are in the ring already and Doug and JYD come out to um, Junkyard Dog's entrance. Queen's another one, bites the dust. Um, Doug and JYD go straight after their opponents before the bell here and a ball in shoes. Landell and Reed are hurled into each other from the corners as Ross says that neither Doug or JYD is waiting for an invitation to the party. They just walked right in. Um, Reed and Landell regroup for a while on the floor before Landell makes it back in. He gestures for Reed to help him, but Reed remains on the floor before he eventually makes it up to the apron but can't get to his feet straight away. Um, Joel says he's not sure if the cameras can pick it up, but Cornette and Hercules are on the scene. And Watts speculates that they are scouting likely future opponents to Midnight Express. In ring, Reed wants to tag out to Landell, but he's reluctant to do so. Watts says that Grizzly Smith did a tremendous job in signing the match, uh, this match for television. Reed and Landell are solidly in control of Duggan, and it is certainly better on the eye when those two are on top, as Duggan's and JYD's offense can sometimes be a little bit hard to watch. Um, JYD eventually has enough of this beatdown on Duggan and all four men are in the ring. Cornette makes his way closer to the ring and Cornette pulls down the top rope for the DQ in 6.22. Cornette fires boots at Duggan and then Hercules beats him down until Sonny King comes out of nowhere and hits him with a flying headbutt that hurts Hercules and looks like it almost kills King. Like he literally, I don't know if we slipped or something here, but this looked like it hurt him. Um, and there's a total melee at ringside and in ring as the ball continues before, uh, the ball continues including the Midnight Express right at the bottom of the screen. Um, so before we talk about the follow-up, because there's an odd cut here, and I'll explain, I think, what happened. Um, what did you think of this match and, and the bit of the post-match angle we've seen so far, including Sonny King's excellent flying headbutt here? <laughs> there was... Um... It, it was a lot more interesting. It was an exciting start. It was a lot faster than uh, typically a lot of the matches start. Mm. Um, I was getting really excited about um, not seeing a DQ. And obviously, yes. then there was a DQ, <laughs> uh, which is funny because the first week when I was, first saw a DQ, I was like, oh, this is quite cool. And <laughs> sicker than now. And it's nice to see a, uh, a jump from the sandbuckle. You don't see him a lot in uh, so far. I think it's the second one in two weeks I've seen. So, yeah. Uh, so it's quite interesting to see that as well. And it's also nice. It's, was that the same junkyard dog as um, that went into WWF and WWE? Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's quite cool to see him yeah. as a wrestler I recognize off the, mm. off the top of my head. So, yeah, it was, quite, it was a really good match. It was the best match on the card, I think. 
Yeah, so what, what is a little bit strange at the end here is that basically the YouTube, do you, I, I guess you watch the YouTube version again rather than yeah, the yeah. network. Yeah, so there's a bit that's cut off here. I, th- I think obviously there's, there's something that's, that's, um, that's basically cut off the recording. Um, so on the YouTube version, we head straight back to Watts and Ross at the desk and Ross says that they're not going to be able to bring us the match of the Fantastics and that Bill Watts is in the ring. Um, Watts is there with JYD and Duggan and, uh, and Duggan and he says that they were going to have another match, but they've cancelled that, as you can see, because Sonny King is a lot of pain. I assumed he was just dead because of the flying headbutt. Um, and in the rip, but he'd made his way in the ring somehow, but that actually isn't what happened. So I went back and looked at the um, looked at the WWE Network version of this. And actually on the Network version, the melee continues and Hercules hits Sonny King in the shoulder, I think three times with his two by four. Um, so that's what caused the injury to his shoulder, but we didn't, we didn't see that. Um, so I'm just trying to get my place here because this is all a bit odd. I think we cut back to this and start again, don't we? So, yeah. uh, so basically there's a bit with Duggan um, and he said that Sonny King, you know, basically he didn't, didn't need to come out, but he was grateful that he did. Um, and JYD adds that Sonny King has stood behind him for a long time um, and he's going to knock the devil out of Butch Reed and he's sick of everything and it doesn't make sense. And they try and help King to his feet as Watt says that Mid-South has to take a strong stance about the boards and the chains and the chairs. Um, and King has an ice pack strapped underneath his shirt um, to his shoulder and they eventually get him out of there uncomfortably over the bottom rope. Uh, and then Joe ID and some referees lead him away as Watt says he's shown a lot of courage. Um, yeah, so I, Ross basically talks about the, the, the two by four shots here that we didn't actually see. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and that, that's basically it. So what do you think of this, this post post sort of melee promo here and uh you know sunny king and and building up you know the feud building continue to build the feud here basically yeah i think um with i i didn't realize it was a two by four so i wrote in the notes that i was wondering if sunny king did actually hurt himself mm. i remember watching from the previous uh previous week that sunny king isn't the best in the room he fell yes. out between the ropes so i didn't know whether he actually did hurt himself um but yeah it's quite it was really interesting to see a build up between uh, us versus them sort of this alliance sort of vibe to it which is quite cool yeah uh, we band together so i imagine the episode after this would be super super interesting but i think sunny king being in the ring for that long to get out it took, it took far too long it was it was yeah. an absolute nightmare but it did it did seem to go on for quite a quite a long yeah. time didn't it so um yeah but on the plus side what we've got coming next is a oh third gosh. counter one two three video package <laughs> and probably the most bizarre one of the lot actually before this back at the desk after the break ross says that sunny king will be rushed to the hospital and it looks like a severe um a severe a severe a severe whatever did you spot that <laughs> yeah i did yeah yeah because yeah. oh, i wasn't listening out for it because i didn't see the four by four thing uh, two by four thing so i was like was listening thinking what's he actually going to the hospital and yeah you're 100 right Nothing happened. You don't know what it was like. Yeah, Ross couldn't. Well, Ross, I guess he didn't want to make it too serious, but he did. You know, he 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 alluded to something and then just couldn't couldn't get his words out. And it's just it's just interesting. That this this obviously made the final cut here. But yeah, great great stuff. So uh, Ross apologizes that we haven't seen the Fantastics live, but thanks to ZZ Top, we're going to see a video package on them. So to the sounds of sharp dressed man. Uh, the boys are presumably in a car and then they're getting ready uh, to get, get dressed into a tux. And back to the car, so there's some cowboy boots showing close up. There's a girl hanging out of a car. One of them is pointing at his white shirt. Then they are in full tops and tails pointing at the girls and dancing. Then they're topless. 
The girls that I've driven off, not interested. Now they're in a car and the ladies are like, they're waving and finally they've stopped and they're getting out of the car. Out of nowhere, the Fantastics are standing topless in front of a white Trans Am. The girls walk off, not interested, but now they're back. And presumably it's because the Fantastics are now in their tuxedos and they start snogging both of them. And there's a really sickening close-up zoom in on one of these snogs. She's like, no one needs to see this. And, and as they zoom out, the boys are topless again. And there's a final shot with the pair nodding along to the music, standing by a Rolls Royce. What on earth was this? What did you think of this? This was insane. It was, I, I don't think there's a word out there to describe it. Um, I remember thinking, firstly, with the Fantastics, I felt a little bit bad for them with the previous week where they got cut off and this week their match is cancelled. Yes. I remember thinking, if I was one of the Fantastics, I'd be getting super annoyed. Whereas after doing that video package, I can see why they like being in Mid-South Wrestling. Yeah. Um, it was, oh my God. I, yeah, it was um, the close-up of the snogging, I remember. My, literally, my notes literally just say, fantastic snogging. Uh, fantastic <laughs> snogging. And, uh, because I, I was watching it and I just couldn't comprehend. I don't understand. Like with the Terry Taylor one, it makes sense, and like, it was actually quite cool. The Fantastic it was just off-putting. I remember yeah. seeing the stocking close up. Going, oh, it was yeah, yeah, it was a bit like the licking the lips thing with the Magnum one last week. I think wasn't it? It's just like, it's a bit. They just crossed the line. It's just a bit too much. So yeah, like, yeah. Like, no one wants to see that. It's just a bit uncomfortable. Um, so yeah, I, if I have to put these in order, I still would put this second in front of the Pretty Young Things video package. But Terry Taylor, I'm definitely the winner. And I'm all for more, more three more video packages, three video packages every week, hopefully going forward. Um, so back from the package, we have Ross and Taylor, and next week we're going to have Taylor versus Crucia for the title. Taylor says that he is champion, but Williams has the medal. Uh, Mid-South makes his bookings, and he wants to assure everyone that once he beats Crucia, he's going after Williams, and he's going to get his medal back. He says he's worked hard for everything he's got in Mid-South, and he's going to show Dr. Death just how tough he is. Uh, and that's it. The July 21st, 1984 episode of Mid-South Wrestling is over. I thought this was much better than last week. Uh, really enjoyable show. Uh, what did you think of this one? Yeah, I think it was completely different to the week before. I mean, last week it felt like they were rushing to cram all the matches in. Whereas this week, they only put four, like last week I think there were seven or eight matches, seven? Yes. Yeah. Um, and this week there was only four, with one of the matches lasting a minute and 52. So... This week they had a lot more time and a lot more video packages. So um, yeah, it was just it wasn't rushed. It was actually a really good episode, barring uh, the Fantastics. Uh, yeah, uh, but yeah, I actually did really enjoy it. So this, this was far more what Mid South like. Last week was a bit of, like a bit of an anomaly, really. This was far more what the what um, what Mid South is usually like. So. Uh, yeah, I thought it was a really, really strong episode. Well, I'm going to put you on the spot now before we before we go, and I haven't said we we're going to do this. So, obviously, there's a big UFC event this weekend from Fight Island. So, I'm going to ask for your predictions on the main card before we go. So, this is going to be this is going to be out on Friday. So, I mean, if you want to win some money, I would just follow all these predictions going forward. And obviously, we don't know what's happening in the main event. We'll assume that. Um, uh, crikey, I've forgotten the guy's name. What's the guy's name that's going to be filling in? Uh, oh yeah, we'll assume, we'll assume that he's going to be in it. So we'll we'll go uh, from from back to front in terms of the main card. So just maybe prediction and um, and if there's any background around that, go for it. Because I know some of these people, but I'm not I'm not too. If you ask me, who was going to win between Michael Bisping and Dan Henderson about ten years ago, I might be able to give you an answer. But now I don't know who half these people are. So uh, Amanda Rebass is it versus Paige Yeah, yeah. Paige Vanzant fought like three weeks ago, and she's. Uh, she's trying to end her contract because she's a super, she's really popular on Instagram. Mm. So she wants to go to the independent scene. She fought about a month ago, I think. So uh, I think Rhea Bass has got that. Um, 
Paige Van Zandt won last week, and it's going to be all down to her to try and win. But she's just she hasn't trained properly. She's not had a big camp. She's come back quite quickly with another fight. So I think uh, Rebass has got that. Rebass. Was, was Paige Van Zandt, did she do Dancing with the Stars or something in the States? Yeah, she did Dancing with the Stars. Yeah. yeah, she got paid. She was talking about how she got paid more for that than all of her UFC fights combined. Yeah. So, but yeah. She yeah. Got... yeah, I can I can see. I mean, she it's a, it's a bit like... Um, Eugenie Bouchard in tennis, she was like, she was once quite, a, I think she got some women in the final ones, but with, with the power of like, like social influencing and all that sort of stuff, like some of these ladies can make a lot of money away from things. And it actually, Paige Van Zandt could probably be in Bellator or wherever, making a lot of money doing some endorsement deals for her own rather than, because they're quite under tight, quite tight stuff in the UFC around the Reebok stuff, aren't they, I think? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You've yeah. got to stick with Reebok and... Um... Yeah, it's, it's, you can't, you don't have your own sponsors really. And yeah, it's a bit of a nightmare with that. So, uh, Jessica Andrade versus Rose Namajunas. Well, um, Andrade, she's been awful recently. Um, and Rose is returning. She lost to, uh, they've already fought before, haven't they, where she got drops on her head. So, Rose Pass. is, yeah, Rose is <laughs> a better fighter. Um, she's had quite some time off. So, I'm hoping, I hope Rose wins because I'm not really a big fan of Andrade, but. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'll go for Rose in that one. Um, I don't know this guy, Peter Yarn, Yan or Yarn versus y- yeah. Jose Aldo. Yeah, Peter Yan. He's um, so he's up and coming. He's a Russian fighter. Uh, he's, he just beat Uri Faber. He absolutely smashed him. Oh yeah, okay. I've seen some clips of that. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but again, I think Aldo is an absolute beast. I know he's been a bit uh, since the McGregor fight. Uh, he's sort of a, a completely different bloke now. Um, but I think Aldo lost to Marlon, and Marlon's a better fighter than Yan. So, but Aldo, I, I think, in my personal opinion, won it. So I'm going to go for Aldo with that. Al, Jan's not had any really, hasn't had any big fights. So this would be his biggest fight of his career. And I think Aldo's just too big and too powerful for him. So uh, at the semi-main is Alexander Volkanovsky versus Max Holloway, the featherweight this is, title. This is heartbreaking because I, I'm a huge, huge fan of Max Holloway. Yeah. Um, but he's even said himself because of the lockdown and everything. Um, he hasn't been sparring. He's been doing all of his training through Zoom. Uh, whereas oh, Volkanovsky's had a full camp. So Holloway's an absolute beast, but after losing Dustin Poirier, going back down, he had some good fights, but I do think Volkanovski will win, but I want Holloway to win. Yeah, and then, and then we're working on the basis that this, this will probably be cancelled. Well, who knows by the time this actually airs what this main event will be, but Jorge Masvidal and Kamari Usman potentially in the main event. So, I mean, I guess if Masvidal's not been proper fight camp, you'd have to... What Actually, probably a more interesting question... If they if these guys were going at it and they'd they'd had a full camp, who would your money on be for, for those uh, two? Though? For me, it'd still be Usman. Usman's yeah. uh, and like he's an incredible wrestler. I think he's NWA Division One champ at one point. Um, he's an absolute beast. He's beat Woodley. He's a great stand up striker and everything like that. So um, Masvidal's great. He's uh, really boxing, kickboxing orientated. But uh, I don't think Usman is showing his Colby that he can stand up and fight. Mm. So uh, I do think Usman will have it, whether it's on the ground. Standing up, I don't. I'm not entirely sure, but if it gets too bad, Usman will take him down anyway. Um, yeah, I haven't seen too much of Usman. Uh, who would win with him in a prime GSP? Do you think? Uh, prime GSP. I think prime yeah. GSP would be any weight of all time. Yeah. yeah. Um, just because he, he's next level, I don't think you will ever find many people better than GSP mm. at what he does. He's my favourite fighter all the time. He, he was like the, the kind of main guy while I was watching it. And I, the, I found it really difficult when it was him and Bisping because I, I just like, I thought the GSP was going to win and then you'd get more GSP. And I thought actually, you know, Bisping, this is probably, it's probably it. And I feel, felt a bit sad that he did that fight afterwards when he, I think he was probably still 
you know, feeling the effects of the GSP fight and lost, didn't yeah, he? Yeah. But um, yeah, I, and there's, there's no more GSP. And I think he's done completely now, isn't it? There's no no potential no, to coming back. There is a lot of talk, but what ended up happening was, from my understanding, there was um, when GSP came back after he after the Hendricks fight, he ended up leaving the UFC for a little while with the welterweight. Came back, fought, beat Bispin for the middleweight, and I think there was a huge problem with the middleweight belt because Anderson Silva had it held it for so long, lost to Weidman. Weidman's first fight defending it lost to Rockhold. Rockhold's yes. first fight uh, defending it lost to Bispin. Bispin's first fight defending it lost to GSP. I know he so defended think, it against. He, he did beat Henderson before that. Oh yeah, 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 he did. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so just, it, yeah, just, yeah, yeah, it was yeah. decision as well, wasn't it? But um, so there was GSP when he got the belt. I think Dana White wanted him to hold it for a little while and then vacated yeah. it straight away. And I think Dana that really annoyed Dana White. So. There's a lot of talk about GSP coming back to fight Khabib, this constant talk for the lightweight belt. Mm. Uh, but I think Danny White, Khabib's an absolute beast. He's made that division look incredible. So I don't think uh, Danny White wants to risk GSP beating Khabib and then vacating it again. Could GSP get down to 155? I have no idea. That's, that'd be the interesting. He's got a lot of muscle on him. So yeah. I think if he did lose a lot of that muscle, uh, he, he could. And if he did do a serious break, he could lose a lot of the weight. But I don't think we'd see a fully... Uh, fully sort of the best GSP would ever see, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think that think things like that is a lot. Is a lot is dependent on when you get, um, you know, spectator support back. So I know I know the UFC's pay per view deal is slightly odd in that they get the money directly from ESPN, but obviously all the gates and all that, all the gate receipts and that sort of stuff, you know, they need they need a big, you know, whether it's the new stadium in Las Vegas or where or, or take it to Cano and sell out the Sky Dome or whatever it is again. They yeah. need those gate receipts that they're going to give GSP the money that he probably wants to come back and do that. And as you say, if he goes in there and beats a champion at 155, he has the worst weight cut of his life. And he's like, I don't ever want to do this again. And when, where does that leave everyone? And that was always no, the thing with um, him. And I know that there probably wasn't a, a load of talk about him and McGregor. But it's like, whatever weight, if you put that on at welterweight, GSP murders him, basically. Yeah, so what's, yeah. what's the point? So, yeah. and, that, and that's the thing with him. I would have quite liked to have seen GSP and Anderson Silva, and they talked about that quite a lot back back <laughs> a long time ago. If GSP had been given like a year to put some weight on and stuff, I think I think back then I think he would have taken uh, Anderson Silva down and wrestled wrestled him out of it. I think uh, it's one of those. I think Anderson Silva's, in my opinion, uh, the goat. I think he's the greatest of all time. You could argue PEDs and everything like that, but it that would have been the super fight for the ages. I don't think yeah. in history there would have been, in my personal opinion. I know Conor could be he was huge and everything like that. But I don't think there would have been a bigger fight than GSP, who was a monster, absolutely incredible welterweight champion, versus Anthony Silva, who's an absolutely incredible middleweight champion. Yeah. I don't think you'd, you'd yeah. ever be able to get bigger than that. And if you did, it would take maybe six or seven years of build of two dominant champions. That, and that's the thing that I think they both had. I know McGregor went on an incredible run, but I, I've always felt that he was... I don't think McGregor's not in the same... And I think you probably would agree with this. McGregor's not in the same class as fighter in terms of overall victories against top people at their, at, their, at their prime, like the dominance that GSP and Anderson Silva had. They're sort of oh, different, of different sort of right, yeah. So I think the thing with GSP, even though he lost to Matt Serra and he had lost previously, uh, what did he lose to Matt Hughes at least Matt Hughes, maybe yeah. once, yeah. But after he got the title back from Matt Serra, I mean, he was just unbelievable. And he just would he just take these guys down and just brutalise them for five rounds, basically, wouldn't he? And just like, no, like zero chance of, of winning anything. And he did, a gr- he did a good job with Bisping as well, didn't he, in terms of he did, the yeah. bigger man. Yeah, so it's just a bit of a shame that he's... Um, He's uh, he's not around anymore. I've, I thought actually I've watched quite a lot of the UFC behind closed doors. And I actually think that it's probably one of the few sports that works okay. I think I think yeah. that that compared with wrestling, it's much much easier to watch than the 
the wrestling behind closed doors. Oh, yeah, 100%. I, I watch the fights for the fights. Same on the atmosphere, it does definitely help. But yeah. at the end of the day, um, the Gagey Ferguson fight was incredible. Hooker vs. Pori the other week, uh, last weekend was incredible, regardless yeah. of fans. Uh, and it, there's a different element to it where you can hear the commentators and the coaches, which is yes. quite cool. Yeah, exactly. Um, in comparison. But going back to what you said about GSP, I think what ended up throwing him off was that Johnny Hendricks fight. Yes. Um, yeah. I think he lost. I, most people think he lost, but somehow he got the nods, and uh, that was an absolute game changer. Was, Hen- did, was Hendricks done for PEDs? Not directly after that fight, but later in his later in his career. Because I think there was a lot, that was the thing that GSP was quite a bit, you know, upset about in terms of he felt the testing wasn't as good. And there's a lot of bo- lot of bodies that changed like dramatically over the course of eighteen months in the UFC, wasn't there? In terms of yeah, there was. There yeah. Were, I'm not too sure what happened with Hendricks, but I know there was. Um, he failed a weight cut and had kidney failure. Uh, right, got a weight okay. cut to get down to welt weight, uh, and I think he struggled to get down to welt weight twice in a row. So Dana said he's got to fight at middleweight. And I think we saw him fight once at middleweight and we didn't see him again. Or... Did he lose that one? I think I saw that fight at middleweight. Yeah, I think he did, yeah. 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 But, I mean, it's um... a bit difficult to keep up now because back in the day when I was watching this religiously, I don't even think there was a pay-per-view a month back in like 2005, 2006, 2007. And then it went yeah. to one a month, which is just about manageable. But then it's one, when it's event a week, it's quite... And they're long events where it's quite tough yeah, to keep are. up with. But I've done a better job while, while we've been on lockdown. But um, yeah, no, that's great. Well, I... T- You've, you've heard the prediction, so I suggest all of the listeners go and put every bit, every last penny on those those <laughs> fighters in a big accumulator, and surely it will come in. Uh, Jase, thank you so much for your time again and today. And where can we find you to thank you for your uh, UFC predictions on Twitter after um, the weekend? Uh, so again on Twitter, it's uh, James Margate YH at James Margate YH. So yeah, thank you for having me. It's been absolutely incredible. No, perfect. We'll do. We'll definitely uh, definitely do this again, and we'll hopefully. Hopefully, I'll find an episode which has got four video packages in it before, uh, before, we, uh, before we make the call. <laughs> and try, try, try to get sleep tonight and not be thinking about the fantastics and close-up snogging. I can't stop thinking about it. I honestly can't. <laughs> I, might, I might get you a picture of that for your birthday. There you go. Yeah, close I was about up, to say. Close-up screenshot. Yeah. <laughs> I had to cover the eyes of my Terry Taylor poster. It's the fantastics are on. <laughs> Just don't look at it, Terry. It's too, too crude. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for listening to this week's episode. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please head over to iTunes where you can subscribe and perhaps you'll even be kind enough to leave me a lovely five-star review, which would absolutely make my day. If you're interested in guest hosting, please contact me via the Mid-South Moments Twitter account, which is at MidMoments, and I look forward to speaking to you all again very, very soon.